Um, today on our panelists, we have Matt Titcomb from uh, the CEO at Peak InfoSec. Thank you for joining us today, Mac. We also have uh, Leighton Johnson, who's the CTO at ISFMT uh, Incorporated. He's a CMMC AB provisional assessor as well. And then we also have our very own Dasha Deckworth, who is uh, president and uh, CISO here at Stealth ISS Group and a provisional assessor. So um, to get started, a little housekeeping, um, put any questions you, you, you have um, in the chat here within Zoom. Uh, we also have a Slido, but I think the chat works, works, works well for everybody. We'll try to get to them uh, as we go through all the questions. We wanna keep this uh, fun as much as we can make CMMC fun and informative. Um, there's no sales pitch. We're not here to sell you anything. We're just here to try to help educate you and, and make your life a little easier. So with that, um, let's kick it off. And um, I'm gonna ask uh, some questions here. The first one is, what are the main changes from CMMC 1.0 to 2.0? And to help, any one of you can answer this, but I'm gonna bring up a power slide, which kind of has a nice graphic and you guys can talk to that. So give me a second here and I'll launch that. So I think um, the main uh, question, I know which, uh, which graphic you're gonna put up and that's the, probably the most important one is the, the change from five levels to three levels. And um, yes, there's a, um, as soon as you pull it up, um, there's a correlation between the colors. So um, yeah, I mean, we've got, we went from five levels to three. Um, now pretty much most companies will have to be on a level two, which is the equivalent of level three. Um, so from, from that perspective, I think that's the most important one that's going to make things easier. Um, level two and level four have been eliminated. They were kind of stepping stones. Um, so most companies now will really be for level two. Great. Um, next question. Um, are there any policy and documentation responsibilities in CMMC uh, uh, 2.0 level two? And level two is, is also bifurcated. So I, I guess I should done a, a precursor question. What's the bifurcation in level two? And then are there documentation and policy requirements around that? Um, Matt, would you like to take that? Sure. Um, so the, the bifurcation basically is some organizations are going to have to be certified still by a C3PO based on the risk of the uh, CUI that they're, they're processing. It's now known as national critical security information is a wholly made up term by DOD. So when we're looking at just keep that in mind that DOD gets to pick and choose what goes into there and that's up to them. Um, everything else will require self-attestation. Um, now, that being said, even though we've now dropped back down to just 110 controls, the process requirements that had the policy and procedures and the resource plan, we as assessors are not going to go validate. We're not going to go and see if you have a purpose statement. I'm perfectly fine with that general approach. Because the only thing I could have said on the purpose statement is you have a purpose statement and it says that you have a purpose statement to meet the purpose statement clause. I would have had to find that sufficient because there's no definition of good enough. 
What this does do, though, is still underneath 800-171, you're expected to have those non-federal organization controls in the back in Appendix E present. There's 61 of them. One of them, for example, in access control is uh, control the use of portable storage media uh, on external systems. You can only do that on a policy and training. If you don't have that policy and training, you're not gonna be compliant with that control. So again, don't ignore having the policies, the procedures and the related evidentiary artifacts that are expected underneath 171 in the non-federal controls because we expect them to be there. And when DOD got rid of the process, the Delta 20 and the process requirements, basically all they did was move the expectation of the NFO's controls back to being there and we won't evaluate them. Whereas under 1.0, we would. So have them there, address them. You just don't have to make sure they got a purpose statement. Thanks, Matt. And I think, you know, when we talk about the bifurcation in level two, when I attended the town hall, they gave an example of, of you know, they're going to determine the risk of the CUI that you have, DOD is. An example was, you're a company that makes military uniforms. Although there might be some CUI um, passed back and forth in the contract, the risk is pretty low on the design of a, of a military uniform. Um, versus a company that's making a part that goes into a, a classified missile and their CUI around that. So the, the per company making the missile uh, part is going to be in the upper part of that level two bifurcation that will have to have third party um, assessments. The company making uniforms that has CUI will be deemed by the DOD as, as a lower risk CUI and will fall under that self attestation. And that made sense to me as an ex-government program manager for the Air Force. Uh, one of the programs I managed was uh, the cadet academic management system for the Air Force Academy. Great. If that went down, it did not stop the warfighters operations. Uh, my wife was a contracting officer for the GPS program. If that goes down, that shuts down our national economy and actually quite a bit of the world's economy. Um, so, again, I get completely that that stratification of risk. And I think you're gonna see that bucket continue to grow over time. Thanks, Matt. Um, next question is for Dasha. Can you apply uh, poems across the board on, on any area still participate on ongoing contracts with the DOD? So I think, think the reference here is the fact that with the CMMC 1.0, you were required to meet all 130 controls. Otherwise, it was no go. And now that we're back to NIST 800-171, can I just throw a poem at anything? And I'm like, okay, there's no teeth or requirements. You know, the government's really pushing on me like they did with the CMMC 1.0. Uh, what's, what's your take on that, Tasha? So there will be a little bit more relaxed rules around that. Poems will be acceptable in some cases. But one thing that is, is definitely not something that will work is having poems just open-ended or beyond six months and then just pretty much running with it and saying, yeah, we're going to address it. We're going to address it. So you, will, you can get an exception if you're in the process of rolling it out. You have a poem, you have a plan, you have a strategy actually working on it, and you can demonstrate that. 
But if you have it for, okay, next year sometime in 18 months, I'm going to have something in place, but you don't know what that something is. You don't have a plan. You don't have a budget. You don't have anything. And especially if it's a critical area, um, it's not going to go. So if it's something smaller, or for example, improvements where, you know, you have, let's say you have multi-factor authentication, but right now you're using text message or I don't know, something. And at some point you want to improve that and get into a proper um, two-factor authentication with, um, with encryption, with keys, with all of that, um, that will work but not something completely, hey, I have absolutely no access control and I'm gonna implement it in 18 months. That's not gonna work. Thank you. Um, the next question, um, I'm throwing this one to Leighton. Um, what are the core differences between the CMMC level three NIST 800-171 and 172 requirements versus the CMMC 2.0 level two? 800-171 has 110 controls. CMMC had 130. They're now at 110. There is no difference between 800-171 currently as it sits in Rev 2 and the new level 2 of, of CMMC 2.0. 800-172, however, is yet to be determined um, for level 3. Um, there are estimates of anywhere from 25 to all of them. We don't know of what's uh, actually going to roll out at level three. You know, we knew we had um, 51, 41, something like that in the old model, but that was also before 172 actually came out. So it's, that's the case, 172 now being officially finally issued that's to be determined by DOD. Got it. Uh, thanks, Leighton. Um, next question. Um, are there differences between NIST 853 and NIST 800-172? Because supposedly the NIST 870, uh, 800-172 was kind of derived out of the core aspects of uh, NIST 853. Uh, Matt, would you like to take that? Uh, so you're spot on. 800-172 is derived out of the new NIST 853 Rev 5. And so in Rev 4, you started seeing like number of failed login attempts was three because they set a federal standard in there. Now what they've done is they've created organization-defined parameters you as the organization need to define. They've taken that model to 172 and so you're expected to document all these assignments as they call them for how you're setting up and following that. That being said, that is the model that you should be looking for of NIST 800-171 Rev 3. Um, and conversations back and forth with Ron Ross at NIST, that is exactly what they're going to do. They may actually potentially even just get to the point of just simply saying, the 853, this set of controls are the CUI, uh, the 800-171 baseline, and not even use different language anymore going forward because they defederalized 853. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But um, as you're looking to where things are going, take a look at 172 and then look back at 171 and figure out where do you need to start making some decisions 
about your settings, your configurations, and making sure you're documenting them. Thanks, Matt. And, and a follow-up to that, you know, with the bifurcation in level two, where it, if, if you have a higher risk CUI, do you really need to apply 172 if you're in the upper level of level two, or you only have to do that once you're required to be at level three? Yeah, so the difference is you you need to be certified against 800-171 only. Once you get to level three, you have to meet 171 plus 172. Uh, again, as Leighton said, it could be anywhere from a small set to all of them. That, and I think DOD may allow flexibility in there. Um, but there's two other things. Uh, yesterday, Stacy Busjanic from the PMO said in one of their meetings, they're not looking at any P any POAMs for level three. So that may just apply to 171. They may have some POAMs initially for 172. I think we'll have to figure that part out, but I would expect at level three, no 171 POAMs. Um, and then related to that item, the DOD gets to coming out at you at level three. Not a C-3PO, it's DIBCAC. I've also heard uh, DCSA, the Defense Counterintelligence Security Agency coming, um, depending upon if you've got classified content on site also. So uh, yeah, be ready for DOD to visit if you're a level three company. Great. Dasha, um, are there any requirements of logging in the NIST 800-171? I know in CMMC trying to hit level three for small companies, um, that was a, a you know a, a significant cost to get a, a sim as a service or have your own sim to record that. Is it in 171? Well, logging as a general rule, everybody should do that. It's a, it's a best practice. Um, the requirement for a sim was never there. It uh, even in CMMC, it was all about have at least have a central logging or multiple central logging. So for example, even if you're managing antivirus across your enterprise, you probably have one central management console for virus, one central management maybe for um, whatever, encryption, maybe for something else. Um, so you can, you know, it does, it did not force you to have one and only one and you had to have a SIM. So okay. you, there's a lot of interpretation now for, for NIST 800-171, uh, yes, you need to review logs. Yes, yes, you need to be monitoring what is happening. Um, but again, here, it really depends on interpretation, your business, and what exactly you, you need to do. And from a best business practice, you always want to know at least what's going on, at least on your servers, on your firewall, because you want to stay ahead of the hackers, you want to be able to protect yourself and you cannot do anything if you don't see anything. So that's really, that. that's what, and it doesn't matter if it's NIST 171, 53, CMMC, or any of those, even ISO standards or even PCI or HIPAA, they all have that as a basic, I would say, requirement or suggestion to have that in place. So you can really do what you're, what you're supposed to be doing, securing your environment. Yeah, and Appreciate it. it. David, if I can, I can jump in because this is one of the areas back when there was actually a CMMC assessment guide I helped to write up. Um, if I'm coming in and you're saying you're manually reviewing your logs, 
Sure. Show me exactly specifically how you're filtering out against which IOCs and how long you're doing this. When was the last time you did it? Prove to me you're actually doing this and you have a repeatable methodology for doing this. Boom. Right there, most organizations immediately fail because they never do it because it takes too much time. Going back to the days before Sims, I was good for about five minutes with a double espresso to try and do this. Doesn't work. Now, unless you're a company of one and you have a laptop and you have one one router, uh, all bets are off after yeah, that. But you, and you even can, then, it's hard. You you can generate a million audited events a day with just a one person business. Right. The the other problem that most businesses fail to reference, and it is in uh, 800-171-355, correlate audit record review the only way you can correlate all these records and do anything effective is to bring it into a sim that is able to look across all your log sources for indicators of compromise you know if you're not doing that you're gonna have a really really hard time passing just to just to be honest with you yeah. um and Makes it's sense. not hard in azure sentinel and the tools that are out there today use them it'll save you so much more time and headache in this space than you realize. Yeah. Got a and the question thing also Robert. is in, really sorry, quick. The thing oh, also ahead, is yeah. in indicators of compromise, threat management, that also is part of the requirements. And those are the things that you can get, for example, with your firewall and the correlation. And so some of these tools that you probably as a company already have, you either can subscribe to it, you already have it, or you need to activate it. And that also helps with the correlation that does some of the work for you. So um, to Matt's point, there's having a central management, um, a central logging or a SIM together with some of the tools that you have, the firewalls, the IDS, IPS, indicators of compromise feeds, that will help, that will help make security a lot easier for you and really automate that manual process that you will not be able to do by yourself. Mm -hmm. right. Robert, question for you. Um, is there a, a considerable cost savings for outsourcing this? Can you outsource this to like an MSSP for, for log management or, or SIM? And um, what's, what's the value there for, for the smaller business? I mean, for me, it's the classic make or buy decision, isn't it? If you, you know, if event management, log management, SOC is something that you wanted to set up yourself, you know, 24 hours, you're going to need five people minimum. It's going to take you three months to find those folks, train them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I do believe that, you know, SOC as a service from an MSSP is, is a very, very cost-effective way to be able to check that, not just check that requirement, but actually do the right thing because that, that's, you know, one of the biggest attack surfaces. Um, and it's where you get the, the most of your insight. So I personally believe, you know, services from MSSPs, are there to be able to offer, you know, commensurate services at a, a vastly reduced cost. I mean, it's really up to you. As I say, it comes back to the make or buy decision. So um, on that point, we've been running and I just literally got off a call just before this one with, with a peer, one of, one of the classmates with Dasha and I in our first class as assessors. Um, the MSP is providing SOC services, but the MSP didn't want to be uh, compliant and was using their infrastructure and their environment to do this. So in the DOD acquisition toolbox, this is referred to as extending your IT as that client, OS, that client seeking compliance 
to that MSP. At that point in time, that MSP is now fully in scope. And so everything they're doing internal is now in scope. So as you're doing this, please, please, please be very careful about how you're extending and whether or not that MSP is going to be in scope. Because if we start talking to most MSPs, they start going, I don't want to do that. And they start backing off. Uh, so just kind of find ones that are out there that are going to be compliant and tap into them. Matt, worse than that, there are MSPs that think cyber is really easy and are purporting to be MSSPs because they sell firewalls and stuff. It's not the same thing. That's, oh, yeah. I'm, more, I'm more worried about that. <laughs> yes. find, the right, find the right company. Find a company that actually does this for a living and doesn't do things like help desk. And, and ask the right questions. Like Matt said, you know, mm -hmm. uh, are they offering backup recovery? What's the time frame for them to recover you if, if you have a, a, a major breach and you're locked down? What's the SLAs around that? What's the responsibilities? Do they expect you to know where all your backups are and, and then they'll take them? Have you ever practiced a backup recovery plan? All these things are, are things you need to, to consider, but um, great. Great response. If I, if I can add something to it, I think one key area here is as well is it doesn't matter if it's an MSP, MSSP, or anyone that you outsource or does something for you. The question will come down to are they willing and can they provide you with the evidence that you will need to pass an audit? Might it be 171, CMMC level two or three, doesn't matter, but you will be relying on your partners to give you whatever services they provide that evidence. And if they cannot provide it to you, you have a problem. So that's that's one key as well here. Great, great point, Dasha. Leighton, we didn't forget about you, buddy. Um, <laughs> next question, now that CMMC 2.0 is published, will companies be required to comply with CMMC 1.0? No, right now it's been put on hold. The answer is no. Um, they are redoing the regulatory guidance. They are redoing the rules, as they called it. Um, all of that has been put on hold as of November 4th. Um, so they are working at, they actually filed Monday their new initial um, foray into the federal register for what they're going to plan on doing. They're changing two areas of the Code of Federal Regulations, 48, which is the one we all know, which is you know the DFARS area, and 34. And so at this point, all of that's on hold un officially until the rules are in final version, which they specified saying taking anywhere from nine months to two years. Great answer. And, and a follow-up on that, Leighton, since... You seem to, to read this stuff for bedtime enjoyment. Um, <laughs> when will the CMMC 2.0 be required for DOD contracts? At this particular point, it will be required officially once the final rules are standing because those are federal acquisition regulation requirements under guidance from the Code of Federal Regulations. And prior to that point, everything is voluntary. Okay. Um, one for Matt. Why did the department make these changes? What was wrong with CMMC 1.0? So fundamentally, CMMC, in my opinion, um, 1.0 
failed to address the real issue. Um, there were, in my opinion, there was nothing wrong with 171 and 171A as it stood when this originally came out. So instead of trying to fix the real problem with self-attestation, they went back and tried to fix the standard um, because they felt there was gaps and deficiencies. And then along the way, trying to figure out how they were gonna fix implementation of contractors doing that standard. Well, reality is they've come back full circle to where we were at coming into why CMMC started of this just get self get compliance done and and deal with the things that were found in the DODIG report that what was happening with 171 was not working. And so we've come back around to that now. I also think when we hear things from DHS, et cetera, two big shockers came out realistically in the town hall. Um, first, it was no longer just the acquisition community making this up. They now have the deputy DOD CIO at the town hall, and they said that the commander of cyber command was a part of the, the threesome in there that made the decision to prove what CMMC 2.0 is. Oh, now all of a sudden, it's really between Cyber Command and the CIO telling the way ahead, no longer acquisitions. They, those two talk to DHS and CISA very much. So I think a part of this other shift was making this also more palatable for the rest of the federal government. Because as Layton just pointed out, if they do go make the changes in um, 32 CFR part 2002, the CUI one, that's a federal change. That's just not a DOD change. Right. And, with, and with NAR now looking to go push a far level CUI clause, it makes more sense. So I think there's broader involvement behind what DOD is doing with CMMC than what we see right now. And aligning with, with the NIST organization, right? And so, yep. Yeah. And that oh, yeah. kind of seem, seems to, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, but we started seeing a lot of um, verbiage in non-DOD contracts, like yep. Department of Energy, even the education, universities. Yep. They're starting to kind of push that onto, onto their vendors, suppliers, or companies that want to bid for projects to be aligned with it. So I, I think... Um, I think this might go beyond what it initially started out with, with DOD only. I think this, um, especially as it's being pushed uh, pushed right now, I think this has a potential to really be be covering a lot of industries, and uh, which is great. And I think this is going to be really the the way forward for a lot of companies to just have it as a guideline, not just from the federal contracting side, but also for the commercial industry, because this is kind of straightforward. And it will flow down to subcontractors, to everybody else, somehow third-party suppliers, providers, um, anything. So I think this yeah. is this will be bigger than what it is right now. Well, what? in some of my architecture engineering firms, uh, when GSA came out and said all building designs, yeah. especially bomb-proofing, et cetera, are now CUI, they went, oh, crap, what do we do? <laughs> you know, and I'm getting calls from architects now. We're doing work for them now. I'm going to go back to what I said, because I missed the second miracle at the town hall. And this is the really, really, really big, huge, massive miracle. 
uh, as a person going all the way back to being, a, you know, an officer in the Air Force war plan, this is the first time I've ever heard DOD say, we are not going to go create our own DOD version of something. We are going to follow federal standards and guidance and 800-171 and work with NARA. That is a miracle of miracles to have DOD do yeah. that. I've never it. heard them say and do that before in my life. I mean, I've been associated with DOD for 40 years. They always made their own standards. They always made their own everything that way. And now they're they're settling back down on one that they didn't write. Yes. They were participatory of it. I mean, this is true at 853 originally, but they were not part of the original mechanism for what 171 is. And they're not the executive agent of the government for CUI. And that's the other big difference here is they're following somebody else's executive agency, which is another area. You know, I mean, they always, you know, they lobbied very hard not to be part of FISMA back in 2001 and 2002, you know, that they didn't want to be that guided by what was coming for others. And sounds like they're they're growing they up they're yeah. they're no longer the, yeah. the rebel teenager and no no we're gonna we're gonna play at the table it. you know <laughs> we're gonna be at the table this time instead of being off on our own um dasha this one's for you how much will it cost to implement cmmc 2.0 i know also that you know that was a big push that not only did the cmmc ab board the dod congress small businesses getting with their, their state legislatures pushing back saying, you know, for level three, I'm a 20 person company, but I make this special little widget um, that's required. And there's not many companies that do it. This is a huge endeavor for me because I got an assessment at 30 or $40,000. I got to implement all this technology. I got all these policies and procedures, you know, they're looking hundred, hundred and fifty thousand dollars investment to meet the requirements um, so is there going to be a cost savings now with, with the implementation of 2.0? I think, um, I think part of, um, part of the consideration why 2.0 came out and the changes had to do also with the finances and the impact that it caused on the cost companies, especially smaller ones. It's, this is really predominantly about the small businesses to, to really do some cost savings. So I think there will be. Um, initially, I mean, obviously, um, the DOD talked about 300,000 companies that are within DIPS that will need to be CMMC compliant. Um, I think majority of them were supposed to be level three. So if even if we take into consideration that level two now is going to be, let's say, still this, I mean, a smaller number, but even then you still got the self-assessment. So only, I think there's a couple numbers being thrown around. I don't know how accurate they are or not. Maybe 10 or 20% of those 300,000 that will need the C3PAO or third-party CMMC assessment. Everything else would be um, self-assessment. So I think that alone will be cost savings right there mm -hmm. to some companies. But at the same time, and I know that a lot of companies, especially the ones that were pushing into beam CMMC compliant and also see-through PAOs, investing a lot of money to get ahead of the game and putting all this in place. Um, I don't think overall, from a security perspective, CMMC was based or CMMC 1.0 was based on this 800. It still is. 
So mm-hmm. with all these requirements, what you, even the companies that have tried to meet CMMC 1.0, they're still in place. Yes, there is a couple that have been deleted, which were new outside of uh, NIST, but overall the security requirements, the being compliant, having the logging in place, the access controls, the protecting CUI, that has not changed. So that still needs to be done. And I'm hoping that a lot of companies that have been working towards CMMC 1.0 are not gonna give it up, but change slightly the course on how they need to do things, what they need to do, and continue on the path of getting it done. Because to Leighton's point, as soon as the regulations are out and finalized, that's when CMMC 2.0 will kick in. So it's not like before where they said, okay, all companies will have about five years to get that done. Now it's once the regulations are finalized, it's going to kick in. That's a great point. I'm going to reiterate that really quick. There's no ramp up time. And also, if you have been working with the DOD, you're supposed to already be at 171. You're already supposed to be doing all of these things. Exactly. David, could I pivot just for one second? Because I've realized we have an exalted guest on our webinar today. Okay. Um, Jeff Dalton's with us. He's chairman of the CMMCAB. I've just been chatting with him, and he, he said he'd be very happy to contribute. So if you wanted to unmute him, <laughs> and, uh, give him an opportunity to say a few words. Hey, Matt. Hey, uh, hey Dr. Jeff. Hey, I should Jeff. correct you. I should correct you. I'm, I'm chairman elect. I'm currently vice chairman. There you go. But we'll be chairman January 1st. So thank you for that. I, I just wanted, I was going to, I was just going to loiter and listen, but I, uh, I saw I, you. I saw you guys you. know me well enough. I can't, I can't keep oh, my mouth shut. No. Of course not. Um, <laughs> just a couple of things real quick. I kind of agree with most of what Dasha said just now. Uh, there will be some cost savings, uh, primarily the, the the elimination of the requirement to show, so show longevity or otherwise known as maturity um, is going to reduce some cost for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bigger point is that 300,000 companies are still required to be CMMC compliant. Now, some of that is through self-assessment, but that rule, that's not changing. A smaller number are going to go through an external assessment. Now, there is an agreement yet on what that number is. We think it's about 70,000. Uh, the DOD's talking a little bit lower, but they said 50% of the companies that are we currently think of as potentially level three companies will be um, will be required to have external assessments. So if you do back of the napkin math, there's actually 265,000 companies in the div. Yeah, 40% of them were supposed to be level one, so that's about 100. And, you know, it's close to 120,000 or so. That leaves about 150. And about 5%, we're going to be level five. And then you take half of that, which is the DOD's number, you end up with about 70,000. So that final number is yet to be determined. But I think the real point is that nothing has changed that much. Mm-hmm. There's an awful what? lot of churning and hand-wringing about change. And they've taken away some practices. Mm-hmm. They've gotten rid of the maturity, which is, I think, four or five practices. But they haven't changed much else. Well, Jeff, I, th- I think the other area um, where I think we're going to see cost savings for the organization seeking compliance is, as a C3PO, we're no longer going in assessing 705 assessment objectives. We're now That's, down to 320. 
Now, yeah, and that's, that's a good still move. times yeah. the number of systems of type and things that we have to pull samples yeah. against. But yeah, there's there's less work, you know, again, yeah. that we have to do. So that will reduce the cost and the time spent by a right. C3PO certifying a company. Um, it but it's definitely not going to be $3,000. That's right. right. Yeah, it'll never be. Yeah, so, <laughs> so there, there's two numbers that I just make me laugh every time I hear them. The first was three hundred thousand. I don't care how many we got. We were never going to do three hundred thousand companies in three years. It was never going to happen, guys. Sorry, right. that opportunity was never there. Uh, right. um, it wasn't going to happen. And just because of the backlog of getting assessors approved through all that, all those channels, nothing was never going to happen. Uh, the other number is 3,000. <laughs> that was never going to happen either. Um, so I, I just think that uh, not as much has changed as we think it has. And we just all need to step back and take a breath because even if it's, I think the DOD CISO uh, said the other day, just sort of casually, I think it's about 40,000. And I don't know that he'd done the math on that, but let's say it's 40,000. It's still bigger than anything we got in front of us. Right. It's Jeff, still a massive business opportunity. Go ahead. I have a question. So, so as you know, we're on the cusp of, of moving from candidate C3PO to getting that full certification. Is it still worth it for us? Yeah, I believe so, because the DOD has opened the door for commercial, non-contractual required assessments to start taking place. The AB has the authority to go outside the DOD, and we are currently looking at that. There we have hundreds of companies that have approached us about getting assessments now, regardless. Now, let's just talk about CMMC 1.0 versus 2.0. We pretty much know what's going to be in 2.0. And the DOD has said to us, anything that you do going forward needs to take into account that we've decided to remove these CMMC practices about longevity and the Delta 20. So anything you do needs to address just those practices. Well, we all know this is what it's going to be. Other than that, the ecosystem doesn't change that much. So we think C3PAOs are going to be pretty darn busy over the next year. So Jeff, we've seen an interesting, I've had a couple calls from potential organizations that they kind of think they're not going to have to be certified, but they're wisely worried about that letter of attestation for a senior leader, because that's, that's what Securities Exchange and DOJ did with Sorbanes-Oxley. And they're starting to ask, can we have you come in as a C3PAO, do a gap analysis and, and certify our attestation? It's not necessarily a full-blown uh, formal certification, but that we agree or we've identified deficiencies with what they were saying as kind of a risk reduction for those senior leaders. Yeah, I, I really think, I'm sorry, go ahead. And I think the other side is like Stacy just came out today or in yesterday's meeting, they're going to use technical evaluation criteria to incentivize companies to get certified. I think you're going to see primes are going to only want to work with certified team members. And you're going to get the prime saying, unless you're certified, we don't want you. And I, yeah, think I agree with you. I think the DOD did, you know, a real service to C3PO and, and really just to, to lesser extent, the RP community when they said that senior executives need to sign off because the minute they said boards and senior executives need to sign off, they're immediately going to pick up the phone and say, Hey, Matt, we need help with this. We need somebody to walk us through this. 
I think the opportunity, you know, I can't start a C3PAO because I'm on the board. If I could, it would be the first thing I would do just because the business opportunity is, is massive, especially since the DOD made that decision. Really quick, guys, we still have a whole bunch of questions to get through, and, and I'll throw one to Jeff here. I'll shut up. Um, yeah. No, no, we'll, we'll, we'll have you answer one of these, Jeff. Um, if I can. perform yeah. the third-party CMMC assessments since this is uh, right where we were talking? So, Who will perform them? Yes. Do you mean for certification? Yes. Well, so the, it's a tiered system. So the AB... So the AB is a licensing body. That's our role. We don't own the CMMC model. We're a licensing body. So we license members of the ecosystem. We license C3PAOs who are independent companies. Think ISO registrar or CMMI partner or something like that. They're that type of organization. And they employ either through W2 or 1099 relationship, um, a certified assessor, somebody like like Matt with us. I believe Matt's one of our provisional assessors. I think um, the question was really more the difference in 2.0 because isn't there areas where the DOD is going to be doing some assessments oh, versus the C3PO? I think that's sure. So for level, uh, okay, that's that's a little bit of a different slant. Ver level three, formerly known as level five, we need a symbol like Prince or something like that. Um, you know, level three. Uh, will be, uh, at this point, will be the responsibility of the DCMA DIPCAC. However, they will only look at the level three practices, meaning that a C3PAO still has to examine the level one and two practices. So you can't just get level three and ignore everything that's in level one and two, right? It's a maturity model. So it's cumulative. So a company that's getting a level three assessment will also be getting a level one and two assessment at the same time that level one and two assessment will still be conducted by a C3PAO. And DCMA DIPCAC will only come in if that assessor and C3PAO quote unquote passes them for level one and two. Hey Jeff, yeah. um, via one of my clients, uh, I've heard that the Defense Counterintelligence and Security Agency may also be doing the level threes, especially where you've yeah. got crossover classified in yeah. that environment in that kind of actually makes sense um, yeah. because they're heavily involved in, in that, you know, the DSS portion of, of DAPM. So. Yeah. The, the, the DOD is actively looking to other agencies to supplement the DCMA DIPCAC folks mm -hmm. uh, because they have a relatively you know, limited size in their team right now. And one of the discussions is there's other agencies that we might be able to bring into this. And I think that's where that comes from. I mean, I'm guessing I haven't heard that specific example. Great. Um, I'm going to throw this question to Leighton. How frequently will assessments be required? Still on a three-year cycle. As it stands right now, that hasn't changed. Um, it's three years from the date of assessment to the next one. Um, as per the requirements, that has not been mentioned as changing at all. Can, can I throw a, a supplementary question to Jeff? Jeff, sure. have you heard anything more about continuous monitoring kind of like they've gone to with personnel security? I have not heard anything new. That doesn't mean anything. There's a lot of things that we haven't heard. <laughs> <laughs> Dasha, will my organization need to be certified if it does not handle CUI now in the new 2.0? Um, CMMC is for CUI. Um, I'm not, I think level one 
is still applicable for FCI. So um, federal contract information, CUI is the level two and up. So that will still apply. But level one is, uh, is self-assessment. Got it. Um, here's a question. Um, I'll throw it back to Jeff on this one. Will the results of my assessment be public? Will the DOD see my results? Uh, so the DOD will be able to see your results, but they will not be public. So what that means is that they won't be, it won't be like ISO or CMMI where you can go on a public database and see what weaknesses Dosh's company had for obvious reasons. Um, but there will be uh, secure storage in a, well, they did, they did have a, a handle on what that would be until some complications arose. So they're working through it, but um, there is uh, gonna be a place where DOD, the proper DOD personnel can see your results. So Jeff, on a related note to that one, have you heard anything more on when the C authorized C-3PO's will be allowed to start? Is that still December timeframe or January? We don't have anything on that. Great. Well, I guess just, just in a similar vein, all the while, I mean, I'm reassured about the C-3PO thing. Uh, I was kind of feeling for all those companies that were paying for training and setting up you know, training capabilities for, for others. I'm, I'm, can I be equally reassured that those, that training program will continue and still serve CMMC level two, oh, sorry, V2? Sorry, I was just dismissing a, a pet. Yeah. Um, absolutely, yeah. Actually, the, um, there are training programs going on right now. That's not my area, but there's actual training programs and again, Kyle, who is the VP of training, um, their team is very actively updating the training based on the data they get. And of course, it'll be removing the, the 20 practices and then removing the, the, um, the longevity or maturity practices. But other than that, the training will uh, stay more or less the same with some new training that's coming out as well. Okay, thank you. That's good. There's, there's a lot of people have been asking, when can we get official training done and all that? I mean, yeah. you've seen the question in the town hall and it's, uh, it's great that, yeah. uh, to see that it's continuing. Yeah, the CCP training is, is active right now. You can sign up and take it and it will change a little bit, but I think it's more the exam because, you know, CCPs and CAs will need to know the entire model. It isn't, it still need to know level one, two and three. So that's not going to change dramatically, but the nuances will have will have to be addressed, obviously. All right, I'm gonna throw this one out to anybody that wants to grab it. What is the difference between CMMC self-assessment and a basic assessment requirement as part of the DOD assessment methodology? Don't all just jump to it. Matt, go for it. <laughs> Fundamentally none. Uh, so a basic self-assessment, um, as it's being scored in SPRS, you're evaluating yourself against the 110 controls. You should be doing it against the assessment objectives. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, but you are, you're scoring yourself against the 110. Now, when you, and this is coming out of the assessment guide 171A, when the assessors come in, we evaluate you against the assessment objectives. That's when you go to a focused or comprehensive level. So self-attestation is fundamentally uh, a, equivalent to a basic. Okay. Um, how will CMMC apply to non-US companies? 
if they're under DOD contract, they're supplying information, they still need to meet the requirements for handling FCI or CUI as any other company. What about the data? Uh, so had a couple client calls with uh, um, overseas companies and they've checked with their embassies, et cetera. For most nations, they don't have a constraint stopping a U.S. company for coming in and certifying them. They right. still need to meet all the DOD, FedRAMP, cloud requirements. So potentially they're having to host um, their data in, in Microsoft's GCC high within the U.S. versus their foreign country. If you're in Europe, you got other GDPR issues, and this is where things start to get really hard and really muddy very quickly. Um, Canadian companies, that's not a problem. They can go get certified and reside within, uh, you know, Microsoft's GCC high in Arizona. Great. Um, I have a question here from the chat room. It says, is the responsibility for the program moving away from political appointment towards established DOD? Jeff, you want to take that one? It, 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 it has been moved away from that for a little while. So um, it is moving under the CIO's office. So that's, that's the answer to the question is yes, that is mm. going to be the case. And it has been moved away from a political appointee now for a couple of months anyway. And I won't get into all the reasons behind that, but um, it is definitely, as far as I know, as far as I've been told, moving over to the CIO's office. Good. Okay. I'm gonna throw this one to Dasha. She's gonna love me for doing this. Um, this is a pretty vague question. How much will CMMC certification cost? <laughs> Big loaded question, so. I know that, you, you know what? It's still the same answer as with CMMC 1.0. It depends on the organization. It depends how much you already have in place, how prepared you are. And that's one of the key things is, I think uh, Jeff, we got that for, part of it from you also in the training as part of it, how big is the scope? Did you, is your CUI environment de-scoped? Is it small or you have CUI all over your organization and multiple offices all over the world because that's gonna be the scope. So in order to keep the cost down, you wanna make the scope as small as possible. Limit the amount of technology where the data is located, limit the amount of people that have access to it. If they don't need access to it, don't give it to them. So setting the scope is one thing. And then the other thing is also how prepared are you when you actually go for that certification? Do you have the evidence in place? Are you prepared to just kind of hand it over when the assessor or certifier comes in? Or will you need to scramble and the assessor will need to wait on you? Because that also is a can go from a couple of weeks or a few weeks to months or a year if you're not ready. So that is really on the company itself to decide how, how much they want to spend. Hey, hey David, uh, if I could, it helps if you, if you break costs into three categories. So you, know, you hear all these crazy numbers, like it's going to cost me $300,000 to be you know, CMMC level two. So there's assessment cost, which is more or less fixed based on scope. So like Dasha said, if it's a small scope, it's going to be less. And I don't, you know, that, I don't know if it's 20,000, 40,000, 30,000, but it, it's not 3,000, as Matt said. It all depends um, on, on if Matt has his college fund paid for or not. That's or what right, exactly. <laughs> the, the bigger cost, though, um, that is, is becoming 
you know, mature in your, in your cyber posture, right? That's mm. not a CMMC cost. So everyone wants to say, oh, preparing to be CMMC level three is going to cost all this money. Well, if you've been saying for years that you're already compliant with, with 171, if that's the case, there's zero cost, right? And so I think the problem is a lot of people, you know, may not be as compliant as, as they think, and there will be some costs there, but that, that cost is cost to protect uh, important information that our adversaries want. And that's not a CMMC cost. Mm -hmm. That's a moral responsibility by your company to protect that. And I don't care what model you're assessing to. That's the bulk of the cost. And then uh, Dasha, that was a really interesting and I thought really insightful comment you made about a actual assessment prep itself. Mm -hmm. So there is a there is a cost related to gathering evidence and you know getting scheduled and hiring an assessor and all these kind of things. So there is some cost. Um, probably a couple of hundred hours of somebody's time to prepare. We In CMMI, we say 400 hours. Uh, I'm not talking about the remediation and the buildup and all that stuff, Matt. I'm talking about just, just the physical gathering of evidence and scheduling rooms and doing all that stuff. Yep. We always yeah. say 400 hours for level three in CMMI. That's what I say anyway. So those three, those are your three costs, right? So mm -hmm. The, the, set, the second two are more or less fixed. The first one is zero to infinity, right? Depending on how much work there is to do, but that's not a CMMC cost. And I wanna highlight on one thing Dasha brought up tangentially. Your scope is not just the system storing and processing trend in CUI, it's also the components that provide security. If you're using lots of cloud services, you're on Sophos for security, you're using Netscope for DLP, and you're on GCC High, and you're in AWS, you've made your life and then our life as auditors a lot more complicated. Collapse, collapse, collapse into single services. You know, I love GCC High or the Microsoft suite. Go to all-in-one. It's got all the security documents all-in-one or else you're having to prove how all these different components fit and how you and extending your IT to them have fulfilled all the requirements with all of them. And that's more work on you. It's more work on the auditor then and your costs then go up to Jeff's point. Yeah, I, I always think of assessments like painting, painting your house, right? Most of the effort is preparation. The assessment itself should be easy. So if the assessment is really hard and you're struggling and you're not sure if you're going to pass it, then you weren't prepared. Mm -hmm. Just like just like painting the paint job comes out terrible if you don't prepare. So that preparation period of gathering evidence and getting everything well organized is really critical to keeping your costs down. And I would throw out there for everybody, you know, I think there's this this misnomer. Well, we're we're going back down to 800, 171. And, and most of it, unless I'm bifurcated into level two, upper, you know, it's self-assessment, it's self-work. It's, it's still recommended you bring in a consultant to work with your company, uh, the value of that. And, and Matt, why don't you talk about that a little bit? Easy one. I've started off with clients and they've given me their 800-171 scoring. They didn't even score themselves accurately. And they overscored themselves because they didn't understand how to score just, right. just in following the, the Dodam model. But then they also then don't understand 
the terminology, the terminology, the language. And what I always find, unfortunately, companies focus on the a single requirement, and they don't understand there are a mesh of requirements that relate together. And if you don't understand that mesh, you don't understand your overall compliance state. And that's generally where I walk in and I start pulling things apart. And like I said, when we were talking beforehand, I warn everybody when we start these audits, I'm gonna take you through all seven stages of grief. You're gonna be angry at me. You're gonna deny, you're gonna go through. And I let them know it's not gonna be individual, it's gonna be corporate wide. Right. Um, because we're going to tear away a lot of their self-perceptions and, and uh, you know, their assumptions and take them back to ground reality. And if you don't have somebody that can take you away from, as my history teacher used to tell me, you're too close to the bark to see the tree that's in the forest, um, yeah. you're not going to pass because we're going to come in as a third-party audit agency with that understanding. And we're going to find all those. And they come up very quickly like within Thank five you. minutes of a kickoff yeah we I only have about a minute and uh 20 seconds left so um i want to thank matt and leighton and also surprise uh guest panelist jeff uh Dalton and, Josh, yeah. and uh you, i want to uh leave the the last minute minute and 15 seconds to dasha and robert to finish out robert over to you <laughs> I, I love the way you said surprised guest and not surprised. <laughs> that was perfect. Yeah, Jeff, thanks for, for jumping in on that. That was My awesome. Pleasure, yeah. Matt and Leighton and Dasha, your expertise shines through yet again. Um, just want to thank everyone for joining. Hopefully you found that useful. I'm almost inclined to say, hey, we should do another one of these because there still feels like a load of unanswered questions. We'll noodle that one and come back to you. But uh, that's all I had to say, really. Um, as I say, hope this was informative. There's no sales pitch here. Um, over to Dasha. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. Really appreciate it. I know we probably have not answered all of the questions. Um, we will be posting this on, um, on YouTube in a few hours. So if you want to share it with your friends or somebody, let us know uh, or send them the link. We will also try to answer all the remaining questions that we did not have answered. So expect those um, in your in your inbox. And um, yeah, we have a few of these webinars coming up, not just about CMMC, but um, security in general. So feel free to join us. And um, we always want to share the knowledge, make sure, especially when it comes around CMMC and DIVs, it, it is about our security as a company and to what Jeff said, an ethical obligation for us to protect the information that we work with or um, create or process in some way, shape or form. So it is critical that we all pull in the same direction and get, uh, get us all secured and on the same page. Thank you, Dasha. Thank you, Robert. Thank panelists today and all of the guests for joining us. We appreciate it. Like Dasha said, follow our YouTube channel, uh, be on the emailing list. We're always doing these creative uh, webinars to try to support and bring you value and, and, and needed information. With that, we adjourn. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and take care. Thank Thanks. you, everyone. Thanks.